for your career? And if you do, do you find that it wanes and waxes from time to time? Do you find in your job that sometimes you just feel like you're going through the motions? There can come a time when external forces, the news, the current situation certainly, a disaster, a life crisis, or just something unexpected emerges that sucks all the air out of the room just long enough for you to pause in self-reflection, asking yourself, am I happy? Truly happy? Or maybe you realize, I feel trapped, I'm bored, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again and just not seeing any progress. It's the same thing, just a different year. In the book Drive, author Dan Pink talks about what compels us to do what the things that we do, they're really different than it was for our parents or grandparents. It used to be about the reward. You do a job, you get paid, you go home, you don't complain. But then, as he recalls, a researcher showed that monkeys, when continuously rewarded for a task, started to actually do the task more slowly over time. Then 20 years later, another researcher, Edward Detchy, found a similar result in humans. The presence of cash actually made people worse at solving creative puzzles. As you're driving to work today, or driving home, or running on the treadmill, or wherever this podcast finds you, take a minute. It's okay to give yourself a time out from all the external stimuli, except for this show, of course. Don't turn off the show. But take a time out from social media, from mass media, from the election, from your work. Truly, a time out. And ask yourself, if you can't make this a habit, to find that time regularly, to take a time out. And this is the theme of our show today. Taking the time to find that passion. Life's too short to be churning out content or fixing A-B tests or looking through Google Analytics or grinding out one more brochure just to go through the motions. We've got to find the passion for what we do or else, guess what? You won't do your best work. If you want to be the best at being you, but you hate what you do, you're going to need to do something else. Passion. It's your level up on the game of life. As Mark Twain once said, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. Okay, once you come back from your pause, it'll be time for to get our little refocus of passion on the air. You ready to clear out a few bosses, level up, and clear a few things up? Then let's roll. Thank you. 
And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 153 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, October 17th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my colleague, my co-host, my friend, and the most passionate man in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine. I mean, I've got a... (laughs) Well, I've got a... Well, I mean, I got... The Indians are playing their playoff game tonight, which is great. That's true. You've got to be in a great mood because your Cowboys won. They're legit. They're a legit team. So yeah, it's 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 five and one, my friend. It's uh, it's they're they're for real this year. Have you been watching the? You're not a baseball guy, so you're probably not watching any of the baseball stuff. I watch a little bit of it. I, I what I tend to do is catch up. I, you know, I, I watch uh, I watch baseball a little like what's the right metaphor? It's basically I watch the highlights. I I sure. I, I, I don't sit through entire games, but I watch the highlights and read the box scores and you know so i follow it that way and i follow the dodgers mostly well they still they're they're still in it right are they yeah, yeah they're yeah, they're yeah. always one yeah. one against the yeah, cubs yeah. so they got yeah, exactly they got a shot yeah. absolutely yeah. you know it's funny so andrew miller is our relief pitcher for the indians and he's just been lights out like i think he's got he's faced 12 batters and he struck 10 of them out and i've never seen anything like it and i saw a tweet uh, somebody said, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays are really taking a traditional approach to batting when they go up and face Andrew Miller. They're still bringing bats to the plate, even though they <laughs> – and I'm like, ah. That's great. I like I like that take. No, I mean, I'm – we're – I was just telling somebody on the phone the other day, I'm completely fine with the Browns going 0-16 this year. If that's what we have to go through for the Indians to be super successful and possibly win a World Series this year, <laughs> right. I'm Because they're all, all related. They're all I'm, sort of interrelated, the Cleveland teams. I'm all for it. Yeah, well, what's really weird this year is this is the first Indian season. I mean, I've... I've been an Indians fan all my life, and they've been very successful in the 90s and then into 2000, and they were in the ALCS in 2007. Very, very successful. I've never seen fans actually believe that they can win until this year because something happened when the Cavs won the NBA championship, and now like people in Cleveland believe actually land. think we can. I know. It's true. Believe land. Yeah, there we and go. And now they're like talking crazy talk like we could actually win the World Series. It's it's strange. I got to tell you, I'm not used to it. I like it oh, though. Oh, but it's fun. It's really, really fun. It is. It's 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 really fun. It would be great. I, I you know I'm I'm you know look I, I like I said I follow the Dodgers, but I don't follow the Dodgers really as a fan. I just follow them as a local team. So I'm I'm certainly rooting. I'm rooting for Cleveland. And now we have to apologize to all of our international well, listeners all of the that European don't folks care. No, to apologize. All. You know. I apologize. I <laughs> all right. Ap- apologize. I apologize. Yes. I apologize. We uh, we actually had uh, we had some some news this week. We had yes, we had you know. So get ready, folks. This one's going to be a roller coaster a little bit um, because we did. We're going to start off uh, the show with the top story here. One that was 
I think may have been the story that really crowded our inbox more than any other over the last six months. That's certainly. probably true. Yeah. Yeah. The number of people who sent this. So hat tip to all of you for sending this in, but all of you did. Um, <laughs> and this one comes courtesy of marketingweek.com. And the headline here is content marketing, a load of bollocks, which I think is funny because they didn't actually use bollocks in the URL. They actually used the word bullshit in the, in it. so it's funny. Bullshit is actually, I guess, less offensive to the UK audience than bollocks is. I'm not sure. I don't know is why they true? changed it. I don't I, know. I, I, I didn't I'm asking, realize it, actually, but, because... but obviously it started out with that headline and somebody changed it. And somebody said, yes, no, we can't say bullshit. We'll say bollocks, which I, you know, whatever. Anyway, right. so the article opens up by saying, it's not that I don't see the value of what content marketing does, although he goes on for another 1,500 words to then completely obliterate that first sentence, but he just doesn't see how it's any different from what we're already doing. Even content marketers cite examples from the 1895 John Deere's Customer Magazine of the Furrow and P&G inventing the soap opera in the 1930s as examples of early content marketing innovations. Both are amazing marketing tactics, but I see them examples of direct mail and nascent advertising, respectively, not something in need of a new name. He then goes on for another uh, bit of time and talks about how he's seen another blogger challenge content marketers to nominate 100 successful examples of their art and is still waiting for a response. I would just suggest he might subscribe to this show. And then he says a study by software firm uh, recently said um, that basically uh, all of this is, is, is really nonsense. And he then goes on and on to basically say that it's not real and it doesn't really have any uh, efficacy by just saying, you know, that 5%, as he says, of the total content being produced generated 90% of the consumer engagement, meaning that 19 out of 20 pieces of content marketing have little, if any, impact. So... Before I go off on my rant, as you might expect I have, what what did you think about the, the article here? Well, you and I, we talked a little bit about this and, and we're confused. So is the argument about it's the same as content marketing? So, so basically, there's no need to call it content marketing because all marketing is pretty much the same. Or is there a problem with content marketing and content marketing is broken? Because both of those arguments are being made simultaneously. So That's I'm perfect. asking you... Mr. Rose, which of these arguments is he trying to make? I think as I parse through the words, and I'm 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 loath to do that actually, um, because it the 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 point gets very muddled in the middle of this article. But I think what he's saying is that it doesn't exist. It, in other words, it basically it's just. A, a a hyped up name for something that everybody already does. That's what I think he's saying. But then he goes on to be, you know really belie his own argument by saying, "But it doesn't work." So is he saying that marketing doesn't work? That all these things don't work? Or is he just saying that these are the same tactics that don't work for other people? Therefore, there are bad examples of content marketing that doesn't work. The argument really sort of loses its way about three quarters of the way through because he basically says. It's it doesn't it doesn't work. So thus it's you know it, so if it doesn't work, that means that from his point of view, direct mail and you know nascent advertising and PR and earned media and all that stuff doesn't work if done badly. Which of course we would agree with. Any marketing done badly is not going to work. And that the whole but then that's a different argument than it doesn't exist. 
And so it's, I, I don't know, I got lost about halfway through there as I started reading through the comments and trying to contextualize this a bit. Well, th- this is the issue that I've had, and we've had more than our fair share of content marketing doesn't work or doesn't exist. I mean, how many, I mean, I, th- I remember I did my keynote at a content marketing world last year, and I came up with dozens of of screenshots of how content marketing is a myth and, it, and all that stuff. Fine. I don't know. It's hard to argue against it's almost like arguing against donald trump it's hard to argue against somebody that just keeps changing the point over and over again so i don't know what we're arguing against so if we're arguing against the name if we're just saying okay why is this called content market i mean i've got a really good reason for that i went through that you and i both been through that why we started to use the term content marketing is because marketers Wanted to do this, didn't know what to call it. It wasn't direct marketing, felt a little bit different than search marketing, certainly wasn't custom publishing. Customer media, which was popular in Europe, didn't work really well. Branded content, they didn't, nobody still knows what branded content is. It's used in so many different ways. So we started calling it content marketing to differentiate it. And then CMOs, chief marketing officers, VPs of marketing we talked to started to get that. Oh, I get it. We're marketing through the use of content, but valuable, consistent content delivered to a very targeted audience over time. And hopefully there'll be some kind of behavior change, which, by the way, is different from the definition of marketing. If you're really talking about the definition of marketing, we're not talking about delivering truly valuable audience-centered content consistently over time to a very particular group of people. That's not what mar- that's not the definition of marketing. No. So, so that's that's I wish that you know we could have had that conversation or now we're going to all right, well, if we're not talking about the term content marketing, are we talking about whether or not it works? And then just throws out a couple of stats which are like, "Oh, more content. More content." Yeah, we we know this. We've talked about this so many times, so I'm a little bit um, disheartened, let's say. I don't want to say disappointed, but that if you're going to bring up a point like this and take a position, which is absolutely valuable. I don't care anybody that comes and says content marketing doesn't work, it's broken, you can't integrate it, whatever the case is. I'm fine with that. I I just want you to make an argument that's worth making and back it up with real information. Any you could have done one Google search and you'd have come right. up with a hundred successful examples of content marketing. That's right. On the first page of Google. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't really have anything to argue against because I, I can't argue <clears throat> against a point that hasn't been made. So yes. I don't and, know if and, you have a take. Well, it, it, <laughs> it, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's really it though. Right. I mean, because look, if the, if the point is, is that it's the same thing, Right. So that I'm going to take him at his word in the first, you know, three sentences or really four sentences has basically lead into his his article basically says, it's not that I don't see the value of what content marketing does. I just don't see how it's any different than from what we're already doing. Those are the first two sentences of the article. Great. Got it. That is just wrong. I, I can we can argue that all day long and we'll take a contrary opinion to that. Yes. Basically. Here, there are tons of examples of not things that are not classically direct mail, direct marketing, advertising, uh, PR, earned media, whatever you want to call the different tactics that this practice, this methodology that we love actually attempts to do. 
and it we've when we we've talked ad nauseum about this and we can continue to talk about it but we would take a definitely contrarian point of view to the idea that it is different it's not a replacement as we've said a million as some of the commenters have said in the article well people pitch it and 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 basically say that it's a repl- no it is not a replacement we have never ever never ever. and in fact i went back to you're in my original book managing content marketing published five years ago now where we actually say in the very first sentence of the first part of the introduction this is not a replacement for the traditional marketing things it's just an additional thing to have in our quiver of arrows that we want to try and drive value for customers using it's a different methodology not a replacement a different methodology and so having said that great we take a contrary point of view but the rest of the article then goes on to talk about how it doesn't work now that's a different argument and so if we're talking about the fact that you think it's broken or that you think there's content shock and there's too much content and thus it's not worth doing, great, propose an alternative. Because now you're just following the same recipe that I've proposed on this show before that every other naysayer and Luddite basically takes, which is propose something, redefine the definition of content marketing, and then say there's too much content out there and that it doesn't work in sort of scene, right? And now start adding comments. And that's just a, that's the lazy part to me. If you're going to say that it doesn't work, great. Make that your primary argument and that it's broken and or that people can't get value out of this, great. And again, we can have that discussion and there it's hard. We're not saying that it's easy and no. that it's difficult and that it's a very challenging thing to get right. All of that's absolutely true, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say that it's, it's no different than everything else we do and it doesn't work. That those two things don't join together because now what you're ostensibly saying is that some people do this thing badly. And of course, some people do this thing badly. Now, I am going to take, and this is the reason I didn't actually comment on the article, Doug Kessler in his always annoyingly clever and amazingly (laughs) erudite way basically said exactly what I wanted to say, which is I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of the sort of lazy arguments that basically say, you know, and this is from a PhD, by the way, this guy, and, and just a lazy argument. And that's, that's the only thing that really annoys me is, is and, and what Doug said basically in his comment was, I don't have time to debate this anymore. Google it, right? Let me Google that for you. And that's the, that's the only reason I rant on this article is just because it's a lazy argument. It's a lazy argument from a guy who should know better, a PhD who should know better. You know, I, I, when you just said that, by the way, you're right, Doug Kessler. We're seriously annoyed with all of your really oh, smart he's just comments. So damn talented writer. It's the, just really bothersome. <laughs> I, I was I was talking with my kids. We were having a, a my two boys, thirteen and fifteen. We we're having a conversation about when you want change to happen in an organization. We were specifically talking about the country of America, but but I'm going. I'm not. I don't want to go politics. <laughs> Right. But we were talking about when change happens, and I was I was making it very specific for a business. So I grew up in the restaurant business, and with you know when things are not going right, often you you want okay, do we need a new cook? Do we need to, is it need do we need new, somebody to greet people differently? Do we need a, a new uh, logistical system? Do we need to get our food from somebody? You know whatever the problem is, and I and when we talked about it, I said you know. When there's a problem and you think change should happen, sometimes you you don't just make change happen because you it's change. 
It's, you don't just want it to happen because anything different is good. It's not. And we, I said, well, if you want things to change in the restaurant, you wouldn't just take you know take your chef and say, you know what, get rid of the chef and let's just bring somebody in here to cook that's never cooked before. Let's right. just do that. Let's just see how it goes. It's not going to go well. Because just because you want change to happen, it's got to be the right kind of change. And I'm going to bring back to, to the coming back to this article. If you don't know, if you really don't know, and you, and you and I have been in the trenches of this industry for 20 years, so we've got a little bit of history and we really know we've been dealing with these companies that have been, been challenged with this issue about how what kind of content to create. And we've been going through it for a long time and we really know it. So if you are going to write an article about something that you're not normally used to, it is imperative to, for you to learn how to cook it a little bit. You need to, you need to go and do some research. You yes. need to go find out the books that have been on it to see, is it real or not? Then you come back and you say, I mean, that's what any good journalist does, right? Hey, I don't know about this subject. I'm going to have to read both sides so that I can have a very educated, an educated response to what I think is a challenge. Right. That, that's, Especially if you're th- going to tear it down. Right? That, yeah, if you're going to tear it down, you need to understand both sides what happened intimately in, before yeah, what, you should be able to do that. So what happened in this case is uh, uh, there's somebody that actually is talking about the art of cooking who's never cooked before. That's right. exactly what's happened. So I'm, come on in. We'd love to have right. the conversation with you Absolutely. about this. Absolutely. But get, the, but get the information. I mean, we talked about the argument. But I guess the, what I would say is... Do the research. Uh, yeah. Are you, are you, there, do most of the businesses that are doing some form of content marketing in their head what they think content marketing is? Are they failing at it? Yep. We've talked about it many times. We know exactly why they're failing. But we're going to talk, talk about a failure in this show. Maybe a couple. Maybe yeah. a couple of them because we learn from those things. So I guess that's, exactly. my, that's my frustration is, is that, uh, man, I'm just, I want a fully formed argument. Give a fully formed right. argument to me, and I'm fine. I can debate that. But you, can, you can't debate somebody that, that just doesn't take a side. I don't even know what I'm arguing against. I'm not even, I don't even know why I'm mad. <laughs> right. There's nothing to argue here. There's no, there's no argument. I think there's that's why you're say. annoyed. I think that's why you're annoyed is because there's nothing to – it's, it's, it's well, impossible to know what the, what the real beef is here. Well, you, you and I, I – I mean, what did we get? Dozens? I think I got over 20 Dozens. emails on this. Saying, Joe, you and Robert have to comment on it. So, of course, read it, read it again, read the comments, went through, yeah. and I'm stumped. Well, what am I arguing against? I, I, there's, I, what am, is this a Trump debate? I, I don't yeah. get. I don't. I, there's nothing to. You You're gonna can't, love that. You can't. You can't argue against that. There's just nothing yeah. to say. You sometimes you just have to walk away. And I think that's why now what we will do is we'll take this response and I'd be happy to say, well, here's our podcast and we'll put those, that in the comments and we'll see what happens. Because <laughs> I think that we should and I will. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's my... I'll, I'll close, I'll, let me close it with this because I was, I'm just finishing putting some final sort of polish and touches on the content marketing strategy. Yes, it does exist. Um, masterclass. Um, and I was just writing some of the final bits here and, and I, one slide that I have, and I just bring up this quote from Jeff Bezos and you'll appreciate this given the conversation you had with your kids. The quote from Jeff is invention requires a long-term willingness to be misunderstood. 
If you do something that you genuinely believe in for a long period of time, well-meaning people may criticize that effort. If you really have conviction that they're not right, you need to have that long-term willingness to be misunderstood. It's a key part of the word invention. Love oh, that quote. That's good. That's absolutely yeah. good. Yeah, All right, let's yeah. move on. Let's move on to our next story here. And this one comes courtesy of TechCrunch. Uh, the sort of most newsy item that happened of last week was our friends at the Goog at Alphabet um, acquire FameBit. Uh, to connect YouTube creators with brands. The article opens up by saying, Google just announced that it has acquired FameBit, a marketplace that connects video content creators with marketers who want to sponsor their content. This could be an important step for Google's YouTube, where monetization has been a big concern, not just for YouTube as a whole, but also for individual creators. YouTube has been working to provide more support on this front through its partner program, but we've also seen the growth of multi-channel networks that creators join up with for ad sales and business resources. Um, I have a quick take on this, but I wanted to, before I jump into it, what, what did you think about this? Well, my, my, my only take is, is that there's some revenue that the multi-channel networks are taking and Google doesn't like it because Google wants all the revenue. All the of revenue course. needs yeah. to be Google's. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Google they and want Facebook. All the revenues. Yeah, they want. I want all of it. Um, so, from that standpoint, I totally get why Google is buying Famebit here because there's an opportunity for them to get that revenue and have it as their own. But I, I know you have a specific take on it, so I wanted to listen to yours. Well, I, you know, so it's a, it's a small short take here, which is basically, you know, so first of all, kudos, uh, to, uh, a, a friend of mine, Michael Jones, who is the, who runs the startup studio science incorporated here in Los Angeles, which is the company that actually started FameBit and oh, then nice. ultimately, yeah, makes a, makes a tidy little profit here, um, from their acquisition and, and, you know, we we covered on this show, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, we talked about the idea of these new companies that were starting to sometimes represent and in other ways starting to really form sort of an agency and or network of these YouTube stars, sort of the B-level YouTube stars, and starting to provide some level of representation and or you know, ways to monetize that through brands, right? And there are many companies out there. And to your, to your point, FameBit, what they did was they brought a software platform to bear to this. They brought a marketplace to bear to this. And this is what Google really needed was the ability for, you know, to have Google ads, but to be able to do this for content creators. And so I think it's ultimately good news for content creators to a point, the, the, the thing here that we have to remember is just watch what happened with Google ads in the very early days. And I was one of the very first, um, users of Google ads way, 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 way back when it first started before it was even, you know, acquired, um, and, and, and become part of the Google products. Um, we were doing pay-per-click advertising on Yahoo, which a lot of people don't remember actually preceded Google and what they were doing. But when Google launched that, everybody was it was great. It was it was a way to get to customers very easily. You could bid for a position and it was a great way to sort of jumpstart a marketing campaign. I think you're going to see the same thing here with content creators and connecting them with brands. It's going to initially be a really interesting early, you know, sort of boon for a lot of these content creators, but that's going to that's going to commoditize very very quickly. And so one of the things that you have to remember as a brand here is that 
It's not about getting yourself into a marketplace to connect you with content creators. It's about having a relationship with that influencer that you start to become embedded and exclusive to that content creator so that they're adding value to your brand. So don't get too, and so my advice here to marketers is as they start seeing these kinds of platforms emerge, the immediate inclination is going to be great. This is a wonderful way for us to scale what we're doing on a market and a content marketing perspective because we can actually basically scale our efforts and diversify our investment into all these different content creators who are going to produce content that we'll sponsor and we'll be able to reach their audiences. That's not true. What you're ostensibly doing is basically just sponsoring their content creation, which is fine. It's great. It's a perfectly viable strategy, but it's not truly a deep influencer basically pulling in audience and pulling in quality content into your brand, into your experience and building your own subscriber base. Just understand that it's different. Understand that it's a a wonderful way to scale sort of futuristic media buying across an influencer network and that's what it is it's just a different kind of ad network of an influencer network that you can define versus using influencer marketing to pull an owned media audience into your brand and and so if you understand that difference and one is a very human driven ref, uh, uh, relationship driven effort and the other is a more programmatic scalable effort and this is what this is so it's 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 a great news but we'll go in with your eyes open is my point. Well, you know, that's a great point. And from the content creator standpoint, this is for mid-tier to small YouTubers, influencers. If you're exactly. a lar- yeah, if you're a large influencer, you'd never want to. No, you don't have to. You yeah, don't you, have you'd to go this. direct. You'd always go yes, direct. This is you the never farm wanna... team. This that's is going to be accessing the farm team. Is that's what exactly is. right. So if it, yeah, so from that standpoint, from a testing standpoint, but I totally agree with you. Like, if you really want to do this right, you go out, you reach out directly, you build a relationship so you can have a better relationship with that audience. That's absolutely the best way to do and it. And an exclusive one, right? You, what you really want is that exclusive influencer relationship. After you've tested the waters and gotten a few going, and basically you want to pull in someone who's going to represent what you do and really get into their audience and that exclusivity can be as long as you feel business you know the the business deems it necessary but that's the real advantage here because remember those content creators are are just publishers too they're just media companies where you're trying to steal their audience as much as they're trying to leverage yours that's a great point no i love yep. it i love it Cool. All right. So let's move on to our next story here because I know you. there's one story here that you want to get to. Um, and this one I, I think is near and dear to your heart. So it's one of the reasons I chose it. It comes to us courtesy of TheGuardian.com. And it, the headline here is, Publishers Become Retailers in the Market for Survival. And the article opens up, which says, Today's publishers are no longer just producers of newspapers and magazines. Faced with dwindling circulation and subscriptions and combined with insufficient revenues from online advertising, many publishers have added other strings to their bows, from membership clubs to global events to products in order to survive. One area many are investing is e-commerce. Several years in the making, Condé Nast has just launched Style.com, an e-commerce business that's arguably one of its most significant ventures. The article goes on by... By talking about some of this Condé Nast launch and others that are doing the same thing, this is that this article could have been written by Joe Polizzi and <laughs> wasn't. Um, but what did you? What was your take here? Uh, yeah, I, well, of course, I I loved it because this is what we're going to continue to see happen. You're gonna your public the the sponsorship advertising business model 
for media companies is, by the way, is not dead by any means. Don't think that it's dying. Uh, is it difficult? Is it challenging? Absolutely. So you got to remember that if you're a media company and you just have an advertising sponsorship business model, unless it's a very nascent market, it's it's really, really tough because the advertising dollars just aren't there. I mean, to give you an example, if you if you were going to launch a print magazine and you wanted to support that with advertising, it's very hard to do that, first of all, because advertising budgets are harder to come by today. And second, most organizations don't even have a print budget or they don't have ads made for print. So there's a lot right. of things you have to think of. So same thing. So here is uh, a movement, if you will, on the e-commerce side, which is probably the... Um, it's, it's the, I don't want to say it's the simplest, but it's kind of the first route that a, e, that a, a B2C publisher could make because they can not only sell products directly, they can take affiliate commissions from whatever they're selling. Um, and we've seen that happen over and over again. We've talked about it many times on the show. So I like that this happens. And I think that more realization, I think from a brand side, we've, we've got to start thinking about uh, you're competing against media companies just like they're competing against you because you're getting into well, I, the content marketing industry. So it's all whether we whether we perceive a media company to be a media company or a brand to be a brand, we're all going to be starting to do the same things, if not already. And in the next five to ten years, the business models are going to be very, very similar. And I just don't know if a lot of people realize that's going to happen. Here's something I I want to I, I want to ask. Which is, is, is it, and I've asked it before, but I think it's just a, it, it, it's a rhetorical question, so <laughs> it's not really. Oh, you're not asking really me. You no, just I'm not asking really asking. Well, although if you have an opinion on it, I certainly want it. But for, here's the fascinating thing to me. I, this is not the first, certainly, of article of this type to come out. This is one. So I would love for, and this is The Guardian, so this is the UK, right? So this is, this is, this is you know, British in the making. The, the the curious thing to me is where is the outrage from the journalists at the newspapers and the magazines who are trying this business model? Because there's certainly outrage for the reverse. When a brand that sells a product starts want, thinks of themselves as a media company that can produce content, there there seems to be all kinds of outrage that that they can never maintain journalistic you know integrity because they sell products and they're just trying to sell us something. But I don't see it on the reverse side. When a publisher, when a media company, and by the way, I don't think there should be there there shouldn't be on either side. Yeah. But I, it's it's fascinating to me to watch the publishing industry try and evolve here and start to evolve into things like e-commerce and 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 developing products that they're selling, and nobody bats an eye at that because of course they need to do that. But why 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 is it so outrageous for brands to do the same thing and become media companies? It's 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 just it's it's a it's a paradox that is very interesting to me. I yeah, I don't have an answer because I don't understand it either. But I'm assuming somebody is going to write an article, a, a not fully formed article, an argument about it, <laughs> and it, it'll be out shortly, and probably will come from the UK. Actually, our friends in the UK. There is something so, in the water in the UK. There is something in the water in the you UK. You can always count on it. You can absolutely. Yes. We love our friends in the UK. We can always absolutely. count on something to happen there. Yes. So, yeah. So I think more Yeah, more of this to come. I am actually a little bit surprised there's not. Now, if there, 
if there was a, if it was a large U.S. No, I just don't think so either. If it was a large U.S. media company doing this, I mean, nobody really got upset that uh, Wall Street Journal had a wine. Oh, club. Time Warner's doing it. Yeah, hey, People Magazine has done it. They've they've launched a store where you can go buy stuff, right? You can go buy products, celebrity endorsed products, and you know, I mean, again, we're not talking about heavy hitting journalistic news sites like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or you know something like that. We're talking about People Magazine, but. Regardless, it's 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 a fascinating thing to me. That's it. It's a good point. Yeah, good point. Right. I've got no well, good last, answer for you. Last, yeah. yeah, last story of the show here, and I know this is one you wanted to comment sure. on here, and this comes courtesy of our good friends Lee Oden and his wonderful team at Top Rank Marketing uh, and the TopRankBlog.com. The headline here is Five Takeaways from HubSpot's State of Inbound 2016. The article opens up by saying today's consumers are much more self-directed in their buying habits, leveraging the internet and mobile technologies to research, review, interact, and buy the products and services they need or want. As a result, many brands and marketers are shifting their marketing tactics to join consumers on their buying journey rather than interrupting their day with a random cold call or talking at them as they flip through a magazine. One might even call that content marketing. Oh, the article didn't say that. That was my editorial. <laughs> that shift is toward inbound marketing tactics such as blogging, ebooks, white papers, social media marketing, and dozens of other content marketing tactics, a way of effective marketing that top rank marketing is all about. And the growth and importance of inbound marketing is only going to grow according to HubSpot. So what did you, so this, and then it goes on to actually discuss some of the major findings from the 2016 report. What did you, what did you want to take away from that? The only thing that, the the one thing I want to say, and by the way, the takeaways that Lee's team comes uh, away with from the report, like sales and marketing must align, educating the audience is key, having right measurement tools, they're all fine. These are all just fine. I have no problem with them. What I uh, what I would like to challenge uh, my friends at HubSpot a little bit about and the inbound report is I would like to see more focus on an actual differentiated message as important. That's really what I would like to see because if you look at any of these, growing organic presence is important, visual content is important, right measurement tools, none of that matters, folks, if you're not telling a different story. <laughs> right. None of it matters. So what I would like to say— Well, I it's all like the same to, and it doesn't work anyway, so— Well, <laughs> so what I would like is if you're going to do it, if you're going to put all this energy into it, if you decide that a content marketing approach is right for you— I would hope that you have a, a different story to tell and you're, you're targeting one audience at a time. And, and I would, I guess what I'd like to see the, and by the way, I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not uh, bashing the report by any means. I would just like to see a little bit more focus, maybe a lot more focus on telling a differentiated story, because I think that that's when I talk to um, people that are big believers in inbound marketing, which which are mostly very small businesses, because HubSpot's yeah. got a really great following of small and medium sized businesses. Of course, that that's what that's what they miss a lot of times. They're they're creating a lot of content, they're pushing out a lot, they're getting an e newsletter, they're getting all the things going, they're doing all the things, but they've got a hollow shell. Yeah, they've got a, and, and and a hollow shell is a big problem. So I, before you do all the stuff and the tactics, focus on a real good strategy of the different, as they would say in the matrix. So yeah, please. absolutely. Something you're passionate about. Just a little. Say. Just, 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 just a, a little. little. Yeah. 
Just a little. All right. Well, speaking of passionate about and differentiated content, we have yet again a wonderful sponsor to talk about. Oh, yes. This week's sponsor are good friends at Ion Interactive, and they are offering a very interesting user experience that you absolutely need to check out called the 50 Ways to Engage Your Audience. And inter- Slip out the bag, guys. <laughs> don't have to be coy, Roy. If they don't incorporate that somehow, then they're missing something. Uh, I didn't mean I, to interrupt. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I will absolutely send that to uh, to those yeah. who can make decisions like that. So yeah. this is uh, 50 Ways to Engage Your Audience, an interactive lookbook. If you want 50 ideas for improving content engagement, that's what this interactive lookbook is all about. Each capability is illustrated as an example of itself. Have fun. Get ideas. Get <laughs> results. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Get the lookbook. Seriously, it's a great piece of content. It is a good piece of content. Uh, CMI.media slash PNR153. That's CMI.media slash PNR153 to download. And Robert, you and I were looking at this. It's definitely worth the look. Make sure that all you PNR listeners get the lookbook at CMI.media slash PNR153. Thanks again to our wonderful, wonderful friends at IN Interactive. And can I just also compliment our production team for... Finally, and it's 153 episodes in. We finally got that URL thing going good, right? The PNR.media slash 153, just it's like that just rolls off the tongue. It's right? all, you can actually remember that. It's all working. It was it's all, all yes, working. It's it only all, took us 150 episodes to get there, but it's all working. All uh, right. Well, thank you again <laughs> to Ion for that wonderful sponsorship. Yes, um, and now it is time, folks, for your favorite part of the show. And in case you haven't had enough of us ranting and raving, it is time for our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel passionately in love with this idea and or something that makes us feel like we want to passionately beat its head against the wall. Um, and let's see. I am going first because I have this old marketing uh, today. Excellent. And so... I have two raves, actually. Wow. Because I wanted to try and balance it out a little bit. But interestingly, these were two articles that I ran across in the same sitting. Um, I make it a habit. Um, by the way, big shout out here to friend of the show, friend of the family, Tim Moran, who is the editor of CMO.com, who I think just does an amazing job over there. But both of these articles that we'll link to in the show notes come from uh, CMO.com. And I just happened to have them both in the same sitting. And I just thought they were great. I just thought they were just wonderfully they're they're not they're, they're not data points. There's no real, you know, major tactical how to here. They're just two good articles. And the first one I want to shout out is this article that's it's called Singing the Praises of the Storytelling CMO and it's written by you're going to love this, Joe. It's written by Donny Osmond of of course, the Donny Osmond Osmond family fame. Wow. Who now, did you know this, has his own marketing company, has his own marketing and advertising company called nothing, Ozcom Marketing. Nothing will surprise uh, me anymore. It, it's, I just think it's delightful that he's doing this. And, he, and this article is written by him, and he talks about his sort of coming up through the entertainment industry and coming up through college and basically becoming one of the most popular music acts um, in the world. And just to your point that you were just making, um, is the, what I loved so much about this, about the differentiated story, is that this is exactly what he was talking about. The, and I just want to pull this one quote, which is from the end of the article, because it just it made my heart sing when I heard this. It's, it, the quote goes, 
a more sustainable trajectory, and he's talking about the success of the company, a more sustainable trajectory is utilizing a brand's belief structure as the foundation of its marketing. Beliefs reside in the heart. And storytelling marketing is not about tricking the mind. It's about endearing the brand to the hearts and clients or hearts of its clients and its customers. As brands cultivate relationships with their customers through these stories, those customers will want to share their experiences, their customer stories with others, leading to more potential customers. So again, just a no data points there, just just really a, a, a wonderful article that I wanted to uh, to share because I just truly, truly enjoyed it. And hats off to Donny Osmond for um, creating uh, creating that. It's a name. And it's so, a name you didn't think we'd get on this show, Donny Osmond. No, it, it it's not one that I would immediately yeah would 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 not immediately um, uh, associate <laughs> there. The next one is also from CMO.com, and the headline is "No Last Minute Sprints: Marketers Leading from the Front." And this is one that Carla and I talk a lot about. Um, we have a whole chapter devoted to it, in, in fact, in the book, which is this, the idea of the, 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 the marketing actually has to become the differentiating function and the leadership function within the business itself. And this is article goes through... You know, it's, it, it opens like many articles do about marketing and talking about Seth Godin and the idea of becoming a differentiator as they use the quote, you know, you'll never become a category of one if you run with the pack and, and those kinds of things. But as he goes through and he starts talking about things like Nike um, and setting a vision, it's sort of these two articles really work well together because, again, coming back to your point about the differentiating story here, it's, it's about marketing taking a leadership position and setting the vision and then executing against it. And, and too often I see in so many different businesses where marketing is literally the people who sort of come in behind and sort of clean up and provide on-demand content services for sales or for uh, brand or for PR and sort of there's this you know content generation that's just like no time time to really set anything bold or differentiating or from the heart or what the brand's beliefs are. It's just sort of like, just put as much out there as we can. And these are just two wonderful articles that I think really get to the fact of marketing and your beliefs and your passion and your setting the vision is such an important part of leadership in the business. And then do so by establishing your brand's beliefs um, and what the brand believes in and differentiates that belief. And you can't go wrong with that. It's just, it's just the foundation of where we should start. So just two articles that I just absolutely loved. That just totally warms my heart. I didn't expect yeah, on this great. episode that we would, we would talk about nice things. So, yeah. so I'm go. Go, now I got to go the other direction and talk about a rant. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> Actually, there mine is a rant and a rave. And I'm going to start okay. with the rave part first. It's the same example. Uh, I was on Fortune.com today, some marketing article that I was doing research on, and there's an ad on it uh, from Hewlett Packard Enterprise that's talking about mm. get your digital transformation insights at enterprise.nxt. I'm, I don't know if it's enterprise.next or it's enterprise.nxt, but it was a Step it's, right up, folks, and get your enterprise content marketing here. Get your content, get your software, and get your licenses right here, folks. <laughs> That's uh, that's brilliant. No, that's yeah. brilliant. Thanks for adding yeah. that, uh, that Thank to, my, to, my rant, to my rant and rape. Um, yeah. So first off, they're actually putting some advertising dollars behind their little content marketing effort from Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Kudos. Thank yes. you for doing that so that you can get actual people to your site. So I really appreciate that. So I, of course, I go to the site and I'm, I'm tooling around and I'm clicking on things and the, the content's good. I mean, it's not earth shattering. 
it's good. It's solid. I could see that they're, they could be building something here. Then I'm looking, Robert, I'm looking for all kinds of calls to action. I'm oh, looking boy. for, I'm looking for, well, what? Okay. I'm on this site. Okay. I go to two, I click on two articles. I get a survey. Tell us what you think about this site. Just a survey. I had to click off of that because it was like, okay, I'm trying. I was like, do you don't want me to sign up for something to get some amazing pieces of content? No, you want, I want you, I don't want to give my feelings. I want something valuable. So there's actually no calls to action for signing up to anything, no lead gen that I can find. I could be wrong, but I did go to quite a few of the articles on the site. It couldn't, okay, whatever. There's no calls to action. It's nice and pretty, works with their CMS really well. But then I clicked off of it, but for, you know, so this was early this morning and I had to come back onto the site and find it because we were going to talk about it on today's show. So I'm like, I already clicked off of it. I couldn't find it in my history. So what did I do? I go to the knower of all things, Google, and I start typing in enterprise.nxt, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. You know what I get? I get that Hewlett Packard Enterprise filed for a trademark, enterprise.nxt, but I don't get the site. I can't find the con. I can't find That's it weird. anywhere. So they didn't. If somebody types in enterprise.nxt, they don't get anything content related for Hewlett. But actually, wow. if, you, if you just type in enterprise.nxt, you get all kinds of other stuff. I had to type in enterprise.nxt, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and then I had to go to the second page to even find anything close to it. Wow. So I'm just throwing that out there, folks, and your search. Now I'm trying to figure out. Okay, <laughs> why, why, why is this? Why is this happening? Well, here's what. Enter. And by the way, the the person who <clears throat> the person who championed this, I feel for you because I already know what you had to go through to get this site right. launched. You had to go through IT, and you and they told you you had to use the current CMS platform. Sure, you were forced to. You had to use. Which I the, actually know what it is, so, but, yeah. I, but I won't go there. Yeah. Well, so the homepage for this that I'm on is really long, and it has a thousand <laughs> numbers in it. It's not like. We just right. went to the first one for Marketing Week that basically had, you know, it was very short, had the had the words in the headline, in the URL yeah. string, everything worked out fine. Um, so this is a very corporate site, a very corporate feel. It's going to be tough for them to, to not only drive search traffic, that's going to be a real problem for them unless they figure out these things. The second thing is you're at, it's a very sterile experience. I think sterile is yeah. probably a good word for it. It feels very corporate-y. It doesn't feel like they're trying to build a community or really disseminate quality information. So I guess I like the start. Keep going. You might be on to something, but you've got to really be careful if you're trying to build a, a user experience and a customer experience that's going to get people to engage with your content. You've got to be really careful how you do it. And inside your current big CMS, which you'll tell us what that is in a second, is probably no, not I the won't. best place no, for I it. I won't. I'm not going down that road. <laughs> okay, so that's yeah. it. So anyways, yeah. I like what they're trying to do. I like that they're advertising to get some people there. And now they have to advertise more because they're not going to get there through search in any way, shape, or form. Well, here's and, the... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, you know, so... 
one of the things, and I don't know that this is true and I don't know that it's not true, but I will tell you just exactly to your point, one of the things that I continually see these days, and this is especially true weirdly in very large enterprise technology companies, is in many cases, these teams that are basically formed to create what you just experienced, the thing that you just experienced. Yes, they're forced by IT to use some antiquated old giant CMS that takes them a million years to do anything in and all the rest. But even to your but your point about the calls to action, they're sometimes not allowed. They want to. They want to have subscribers. They want to have an email newsletter list. They want That's to actually right. allow you to subscribe to this thing. But the, the demand generation and, and, and the sort of funnel marketing folks won't allow them to do it because it would, quote, unquote, take away from the ability for them to actually drive registrations for other marketing efforts that they're doing, which is criminal in my mind, but, it's, but it is in many cases a policy decision, not necessarily a technology or an absence of thought. You are correct. Mr. Rose, yeah. you and I have been around this way too long. I should have known yeah. that. It's still frustrating, but absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, abs- it's super frustrating. That's why, by the way, it's, yeah, it's, why, it's, why it's much easier for small businesses to do this. They don't exactly. have to go through the corporate red tape. So Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's see. So we have a, this old marketing here, and this is an interesting one. Because it's not that old, first of all, but it's we thought it was a really good one because it was a fun discussion, and quite frankly, you know, given what we were we've been talking about this show, one that is in a bit of flux right now. So first and foremost, big hat tip here to James Gardner, friend and family of the show for sure. Thank you, James. Hi, James. Um, and he sent us over this story and actually did a lot of the research for us. So thank you for that, James. Um, he basically sent over the, the, an article came out. Um, it was, it's about mass mutual. So mass mutual, the big insurance company, and they have had this property, this, basically this company called society of grownups, which, um, really started out as a, uh, it was created in, in conjunction with, uh, IDEO, if you know that company and really an interesting idea here, which was to really start to look at, um, the idea of how young people, and that'll come back to bite us here in just a second, when but basically young people really look at finance. And, you know, reading here from an IDEO case study that talked about the idea of the society of grownups when it first launched, which was, by the way, about uh, almost two years ago now, but, but um, just coming up on two years. And basically, they talked about this idea of creating an experience, a customer experience, both in digital content, both in a physical experience, but that there was an actual storefront where you could go in and as a, uh, as a young person, really learn about financial matters and how you might invest and how you might you know, get a 401k going and, and all these different things and create this experience for these uh, educational experience for these young people. And they launched this thing and basically got a $100 million infusion to get these things started. And the article that he links to, and of course we'll link to in the show notes, starts about the idea that this company, Society of Grownups, has secured $100 million from their company, which was Mass Mutual Life Insurance Company, to build out the digital footprint and open 10 additional physical spaces over the next three years. This was when it first launched. Um, And they were going to launch in New York and Philadelphia by the end of this year. And they talked about all the wonderful things they were going to be able to do. Just this last week, they had a new announcement, and this one comes to us from the Boston Globe, that talk about the idea that there's going to be layoffs. 
And the society of grownups were going to that were trying to reach all these young people were basically, um, and as the article says, the Springfield-based insurer, Mass, uh, Mass Mutual Life Insurance, is shutting down its storefront in the, the Boston-Brookline area and abandoning plans to open similar offices in 10 more cities in the coming years. As they say, Mass Mutual will instead focus on digital and online financial literacy efforts. In other words, they're going to sort of pivot and move much more to digital content than a physical uh, experience. And so he, his question to us and our question for discussion is, is this a failure? Is this a pivot? Or is this something that could have succeeded that didn't succeed? And what sort of is, when we look at this as an example of this old marketing, where, you know, where does it go from here? What, what did you think about this? Well, I, I (coughs) applaud the effort with some maybe constructive criticism. So I didn't actually, James, thanks for sending. I never heard about this before. And I'd looked at the pictures, and I was fascinated by it. Now, they're targeting young adults, which, according to the definition here, is 40 or less, which is really broad. According to their definition, yes, is under 40. And it's about helping younger people with their financial issues going into adulthood. I'm 43, and I'm still not even (laughs) close to adulthood yet, by the way. If you're not an adult at 40, (laughs) you have other issues. No, no, I'm definitely – I'm never becoming an adult. That's no fun at all. (laughs) Um, but yeah. what's, so the first thing I would say, there's, there's two recommendations. The first recommendation is why so broad, really, really, right. really very broad, broad audience. Yeah. So it's very hard if this is, let's say this was a content marketing approach. It's very hard to get any traction because you're not targeting a specific group. So very hard to, to create any kind of content to them, uh, specific approaches advertised to such a broad base. So there's a lot of wasted advertising, let's say, if you were to do that. Um, so that's the, the first thing. The second thing is, and this goes back to my book, Content Inc., and all the research that we did, they started with an in-person, let's say this was content marketing, because I don't know if it is, it seems like it could be, seems like it is, but they're, they're starting it with an in-person model. So if you looked at in-person, digital, or print, it's kind of your three legs of the stool. The best way, at least from all the case studies that we've looked at, these success stories, if you will, that we've looked at, they they start with digital first. Why? Because digital is the best place for you to first, and maybe the easiest place for you to build an audience first. You can build an audience of loyal people there, and then you can diversify once you reach a minimum viable audience into print and into an in-person kind of scenario with that. So I think, Robert, they got it backwards. I think they should, now they're going back, they're backing into a digital model, which probably was where they should have gone before. I would have started right. with the digital model and maybe they'll and go back to it. Expanded into the physical. And yeah. then expanded into the physical. And if, by the yeah. way, look at Disney. Disney is a very good example of them doing that with the Disney stores. They didn't just say, oh, let's launch the Disney stores. They already built a massive audience first. Through a bunch of different ways, including digital, and then they launched the stores. So I would, yeah. I would say that was my two things. I don't know if you had a take with it. No, it was it, the last point you brought up was exactly the point I was going to bring up, which is you know I'm and and again we have no inside information here, but I think that would have been the way you know you you just look at the recent trends in retail, and you can start to see this happening in a lot of different places where new retail outlets, physical outlets are basically starting with a digital content model, whether it's e-commerce or whether it's some sort of digital content experience, and then taking that and using that understanding to understand where they may want to open physical 
uh, physical locations. Interestingly, I think it would have helped inform some of the real estate decisions that they probably made, which is probably why they had such a big bill, you know, the $100 million infusion, was to open in places like Brookline or New York or Philadelphia or, you know, big urban areas where you're going to find a lot of young people. And I think backing into the digital content experience first might have helped them understand where they might want to have started with a physical experience because they would have seen where their subscribers were coming from. And they could have said, you know, a college town may have been the best place for, you know, a small college town may have been their best effort. Where is our audience located at? Let's go to them with a, with a physical event. The, and just real quick, it's, there's really nothing to subscribe to on the site itself. Uh, you right. can sign in, but but when you click on sign in, there's no value. You don't get anything. You just sign in. It's like name and whatever. I don't know what value I'm getting with it. And then uh, they have an Instagram following of almost 3,000 followers, which yeah. probably not enough to support a store. <laughs> right. I'm just so. Anyways, we don't know all the details, but just this is just with five minutes of looking at it. I think yeah. it's that really broad. It just kills you. This is where you go niche and you niche. really focus yeah. on somewhere where you can own that and then you can expand out college into graduates would be a really interesting one right those who have just graduated college what are the financial decisions that are they're facing and you know there's so much rich you know areas to focus on there especially for young college graduates with college debt and you know i mean and again that's you know just one idea but you know really focusing in on a specific audience is the i think is is a main key always is yeah. Always is. It's always, it's one many times uh, quick forgotten. editorial uh, correction I want to make. When in my rave, I uh, referred to. Uh, I, I, I think I the the article is actually written by Donny Osmond's son, who's also named Donny Osmond, by the way. But I I think I neglected to say that it's actually his son who is the owner of the oh. actual agency, not actually Donny Osmond the singer. So there we go. There are two Donny Osmonds. That there are. I'm there officially are. freaked I out. I think he goes. I think he. <laughs> (laughs) actually goes by don so don osmond but but yes and by the way he looks strikingly like his father i mean strikingly like his father so so there you have it so where are you this week Uh, i'm actually leaving uh very soon to go to boston to to speak at marketing profs uh so i'll be there tell the gang i said hello there is a whole whole slew of people who are going to be there there that are just wonderful peeps there are a few people looking forward to seeing some friends there going to do a little speech about uh creating a a uh, a media company out of your 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 B two B product and service company. So we'll sounds like a good book idea. I, it might be a good book. I'm going to test out yeah. some some material on this crew. Right, so I'll let you know how it goes. Good. How about you, sir? Right. What are you doing? I am home putting as I mentioned earlier, putting the final touches on uh, the master classes, which start in just a couple of weeks. Here, um, I have basically uh, you know I'm going to see some of our. New friends and family at uh, at the UBM uh, down in Santa Monica later this week to talk all things marketing and content and stuff like that. But I'm in Los Angeles for the next couple of weeks until I start flying again with you around the country to go um, go teach some master classes here right. in November. Oh, that's right. Six City Master Class Tour uh, start November 7th in D.C. And where are we going? We, we got Boston, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Dallas. So yeah. if you'd like to join us, content, yeah, yeah. content marketing conf, content marketing conf dot com. Go join up, uh, go sign up, and and we'd love to see you there. And you can see both of us be, in person, and you can it would be you can learn from Robert, but you can see yes. me. 
and <laughs> and we can talk about that thing that shall not be named. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But if it does exist, Don't it doesn't it. work. Don't say it. <laughs> the All thing right. that shall not be named. That is it, folks. Uh, for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 153, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or leaving us a review on the same. And when you subscribe, if you leave us a review... Do let us know, won't you, on the hashtag ThisOldMarketing. We'd love to thank you personally for that. And, of course, show ideas, story ideas, This Old Marketing ideas. Hashtag us up at ThisOldMarketing on the Twitter. We absolutely love it. Or if you love the email, do send us an email at uh, ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available on the show uh, in the notes as we publish on Monday night. And, of course, in the show post at ThisOldMarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, just Remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.